Monday, the 26th of February. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yours, O Lord, are compassion and forgiveness. You came to save sinners. We have sinned in your sight. You reconcile us to the Father. We stand in need of reconciliation. You bring us to everlasting life. We call to you from our sinfulness. God, the Father of mercies, you sent your Son to save sinners. Grant us wisdom and courage to know our sinfulness and humility to beg your forgiveness through the same Christ our Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It's a better way to continue through the season of Lent, the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We've got a video feed up and running, and you can check that out in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. It's running on both Facebook and YouTube. Up this hour, we've got a lot going on. Kevin Schmeising will join us for a look at this week in Catholic history, as he does every single week. It's always kind of neat to see what Kevin has dug up from the archives. He's got a couple of cool ones this week, stuff that uh, I don't know about you, I've never heard of either one of these situations. Uh, Also this hour, we're going to check in uh, with Father John Gavin. He is the author of a book called Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer, and it's all about how the Church Fathers, uh, well, looked at the Lord's Prayer, but what we talk about with him is how the Church Fathers are cited in the Catechism. So we'll talk to him today. Rita Heikenfeld has more Lenten meatless recipe ideas, and Father Patrick Briscoe will discuss Eucharistic Stations of the Cross. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says total victory is within reach once its operation in Rafah is completed. He was speaking on CBS's Face the Nation and said the military operation involves evacuating Palestinian civilians from Rafah. It's estimated there are more than a million Palestinian civilians in that region of Gaza. Netanyahu said peace is not possible without, quote, total victory, which he once again defined as destroying all Hamas battalions along with freeing all hostages. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says his country needs more weapons from allies in its continued defense against Russia. In an interview with NBC News, Zelensky said Russian President Vladimir Putin is looking to continue his war further into Europe and that he will, quote, do it until 2030. Zelensky said if allies are ready to give the country air defenses, he can use them to, quote, save civilians, historical centers and hospitals. Pope Francis made another appeal for peace as he marked the second anniversary of the war in Ukraine yesterday during his Angelus address. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Pope Francis on Sunday lamented the deaths, injuries, destruction, anguish, and tears of the past two years since Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, a period, the Pope said, that is becoming terribly long and whose end is not yet in sight. 
In remarks following the Sunday Angelus, the Pope warned that the war in Ukraine is not only devastating the region of Europe, but unleashing a global wave of fear and hatred. While renewing his vivid sympathy and prayers for the tormented Ukrainian people, the Holy Father pleaded for the recovery of that little bit of humanity that will allow the conditions for a diplomatic solution to be created in the search for a just and lasting peace. In the latest news from Ukraine, Ukrainian Defense Minister Rustam Umarov warned Sunday that his country was losing territory in its grinding war with Russia because, in his words, 50% of weapons promised by Western partners failed to reach Kiev in time. The announcement comes as Ukraine faces an unprecedented humanitarian crisis as a result of the Russian invasion. I'm Christopher Wells. It's another win for Donald Trump, this time coming out on top in South Carolina's GOP presidential primary. Trump won the state Saturday night after already winning in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. In South Carolina, the win is significant as it means White House hopeful Nikki Haley lost her own home state. Haley was the U.N. ambassador during Trump's presidency and was the governor of South Carolina from 2011 to 2017. She has vowed to stay in the race to give Republicans an option other than the former president. Two congressmen are trying to get a bipartisan border security and foreign aid bill onto the House floor. More from Mark Mayfield. Republican Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania and Democratic Congressman Jared Golden of Maine said on CBS Face the Nation they believe their bill can get the necessary 218 votes in the House. They both agreed a one-party solution likely will not get the votes and a bill needs to grow out of the middle to be able to pass. The bill is an alternative to a Senate bill that House Speaker Mike Johnson has already called dead in the water. I'm Mark Mayfield. AT&T is going to provide customers affected by Thursday's network outage a $5 credit. In a statement on its website, the cellular provider said customers will receive it within two billing cycles. AT&T says a software update is to blame. The service disruption started early Thursday and was a major headache for many with phone services limited. GPS maps failed and some 911 calls did not go through. And it could be another early beginning to Washington, D.C.'s annual cherry blossom season. Forecasters say this winter has been warmer than normal on average, which in past years has led to full bloom for the cherry blossoms happening in late March as opposed to early April. The National Park Service is monitoring both the weather and the trees and will make this year's peak blossom prediction this coming Thursday. It's a, it's a pretty cool phenomenon. Yeah. I won't lie. You know, they, uh, the whole City Connect jersey thing that they've got going on with Major League Baseball where, you know, there's some kind of cool, you know, extra City Connect jerseys and yeah. a lot of them that are not, not very cool at all. Uh, I will say that the uh, Washington Nationals, the one that's got, like, the cherry blossoms on it and stuff, is kind of cool. Oh, I've never seen this. Yeah, you have to look it up. Washington so, um, Nationals. Cherry blossoms. got, blossom. like, cherry blossoms. It's like WSH. Churchy. And then, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, those are pretty nice. So there you go. Very pretty. 
Okay. Now, yeah, you know, I, I think you've been to Washington D.C. during Cherry Blossom. I think you maybe have been like just post Cherry Blossom. Very, yeah, very tail it end. Does feel I was like there with like you and Colleen on the ground back yes. when you were uh, there to uh, sign copies of your bestseller, The Eucharist and the Rosary. Yes, at the National Basilica. Yes, New York Times bestseller. Yeah, so that's where we met. That tens of copies. That is where. I spotted and tracked down Monsignor Charles yeah, Pope, who was just like shopping Monsignor around. Pope in person, that's true. And that is when I cornered him to become a regular on the Sunrise Morning Show. This is why you have to be careful about meeting Anna Mitchell. And I know. I'll put you to work. Got to be. Got to be careful. Now, like you know, twelve years later, he's still. It happens. Yeah. It happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well. We are glad that you're along on this Monday, the 26th day of the month of February. And I know it seems like February is almost over, but we get an extra day this week of February because the year doth leap. It's nine minutes past. It's time for a look at this week in Catholic history. And here to do that, as always, is Kevin Schmeezing, author of A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Matt. All right, so the church and politics is always a dicey issue. So dicey in 1868 that Pope Pius IX had some stuff to say about it. Tell us about that. It it was pretty dicey. The church and politics is, I guess, the theme for this week, both of uh, the segments of this week's episode. So it's not every year, Matt, that we get to talk about February 29th. So I wanted to find something for that date. And I did. This one, Pope Pius IX, forbidding participation in Italian politics. February 29th, back in 1868. And you and I over the years have covered a lot of aspects of the long and consequential papacy of Pius IX. Um, this is another one of those. It's uh, The background was the Risorgimento, which is the unification of the nation of Italy. It involved, among other things, the seizure by force of the papal states, which had up to that point, and for some thousand years, been an independent state, at whose head stood the Bishop of Rome. Pius IX began his tenure in 1846 as a liberal in the terms of the day. He was open to the extension of democratic participation in government, but the radicalization of European politics turned him against that movement. In 1848, his prime minister was assassinated. The Pope himself was forced to flee Rome in disguise. In the late 1850s, the revolution in Italy led to the dissolution of the Papal States. Papal armies were defeated in the 1860s, and then the definitive end Uh, the capture of Rome in 1870. So in the midst of all that, Pius, seeing that matters were worsening in the new Italian nation, decided that Catholics could no longer participate in any way. This week, February 29th, 1868, he issued what was called a known expedit decree. That's uh, the translation is, it is not expedient. And that forbade Catholics from holding office or even voting for offices in the Italian government. This didn't really improve the situation. Uh, For one, not a lot of people followed it. And secondly, it really just appeared to confirm what the uh, the enemies of the church were saying about the absolute opposition between the church and Italian nationalism. The ban was modified by Pius X in 1905 and then abrogated completely in 1918. That was not long before the Roman question was finally settled for good by the Lateran Accords in 1929. Pope Pius IX forbidding participation in Italian politics this week in 1868. Yeah, American Catholics listening right now are like, what? Forbidding (laughs) us to vote? 
it's like the the one thing that all Americans care about in common, right? Is that that right? So yeah, what a fascinating look into the state of Italy prior to really leading up to World War One almost. Uh, but let's talk about a political activist uh, who is from uh, just a few years after that. Yeah, I guess this is kind of uh, the opposite of what we just covered. This is a Catholic priest being involved in politics. His name was Father Robert Hare. He was ordained this week in 1874. This is a figure, Mac, that I had known nothing about until last year. Now, I'm sure you all at Sacred Heart Radio covered the abortion referendum in the state of Ohio in 2023. It was in the Heavily, course of that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it was in the course of that debate that some news stories made reference to Father Hare as the father of the referendum. So I looked into him and here's what I found. Robert Hare was born into a Presbyterian family in southeast Michigan in 1845. He converted to Catholicism at age 20, studied for a time at Mount St. Mary's of the West in Cincinnati, was ordained for the Diocese of Detroit this week, March 1st, 1874. After serving in Detroit and Flint for a few years, he volunteered as a missionary on the frontier in Dakota Territory. He was a parish priest for many years in Aberdeen, South Dakota, and during that time, he became active in an array of political causes associated with social reform and populism, for example, prohibition of alcohol, women's suffrage, and workers' rights. In 1897, he drafted and promoted, and then the legislature passed a measure that would provide South Dakota voters the opportunity to make laws directly through proposing and voting on legislation. This is also known as the referendum. South Dakota was thus the first U.S. state with a referendum process. There are now 26 such states, including, of course, Ohio. Father Hare died in Aberdeen in 1916. He was the father of the referendum. He had been ordained a priest this week in 1874. Well, that is absolutely fascinating. I would have never guessed that the concept of having a referendum in a state where regular old voters could act like legislators was founded by a Catholic priest. Uh, this is why we have these segments on <laughs> on the Sunrise Morning Show. Uh, Kevin Schmeising, we've got your book, A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. I encourage people to check out the Catholic History Trek podcast as well. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thanks, Matt. You too. All right, let's check on weather for the nation as we start the work week for many of you, the school week for almost all of you. Flurries or light snow showers expected for interior portions of the northeast with rain, perhaps a rain-snow mix from uh, southern New England to the northern mid-Atlantic. A few showers also possible for the Tennessee Valley and southern mid-Atlantic in the afternoon and evening. A large, strong weather system moving across the west. Precipitation begins in the northwest and then will spread south and east across California, the Great Basin, southwest, and Rockies throughout the day. Expect mostly rain along the immediate west coast into the lower elevations of California and the desert south. That rain could mix with or change to snow across western Washington and Oregon late in the day. Rain or rain-snow mix could in, uh, initially develop in the interior northwest and Great Basin, but then change over to snow. Snow also could spread to the northern plains this evening. However, dry and quiet weather from the central southern plains into the lower Mississippi Valley, Midwest, and Southwest. Back with headlines after this, it's a quarter past. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. 
Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. Giving up coffee for Lent? Look no further than the Mystic Monks for a great selection of their Mystica tea to get you through the season. And when you shop their site for tea or coffee, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, check out our online store where you can purchase Sunrise Morning Show mugs and travel mugs. Find our mugs and link to Mystic Monk coffee and tea at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. One time somebody said to me, why don't you air these people? And I said, no, because I don't think they're Catholic. He says, by what right do you have to say that? I said, I own the network. (laughs) Mother Angelica Live Classics. Tomorrow night, 8 Eastern on EWTN Television and Radio. 17 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says a potential ceasefire deal with Hamas is being held up by Hamas's, quote, delusional claims. Pope Francis made another appeal for peace as he marked the second anniversary of the war in Ukraine during his Angelus address yesterday. And Donald Trump has called on the legislature in Alabama to protect in vitro fertilization. I feel like we can have some conversations about that. Yeah, we could. Sunrise Morning Show continues. Hey, I see you got the the, the memo to wear green today. Greenish? Yeah. It's like an earth-tony green. We are not in ordinary time, and yet we both wear green. I suppose so. Should have been wearing purple. So speaking of things that we've been talking about, um, it came up with Father Augustine Weta recently. It's come up in a couple of other different spots, uh, the what would Jesus do phenomenon and the question. Uh, Anna Mitchell, I wonder off the top of your head, do you know where the what would Jesus do thing actually comes from? Do you know? Those little bracelets? Yeah, where did the bracelets come from? I have no idea. Where did the phrase come from? I was in grade school when that phenomenon began. Well, actually, luckily— it predates that. And actually, I don't think there's anybody listening who was born when the thing it came from came out. So it actually comes from a novel by a guy named Charles M. Sheldon, and he basically writes this fictional account of this church that's very, you know, kind of proper and everything. And this man shows up on the doorstep asking for help, and they're all kind of grossed out. And then a couple of days later, this man dies, and everybody has like this massive conviction of heart. Sure. And ultimately the pastor's like, what would Jesus do? And it overhauls everything. Well, this is in a novel by a guy named Charles Sheldon, and it came out in the 1890s, and it was called In His Steps. Okay. Here's That's my transition to what I'm about to like tell you about, because I saw Great. in my notes from EWTN that there's – if you go to learningseries.ewtn.com, you can sit with the Lord and hear reflections from Father Joseph Mary Wolf in a series called – in his sandals. Mm. So, 
nice in his steps you can nice do transition. in his sandals with father joseph mary wolf uh so the goal being to describe i would choose father joseph goodness. mary i would too uh the ewtn online learning series you can get into the faith or close to the lord there's free videos free study guides and it's father joseph mary wolf I mean, so i mean come on it is what it is so <laughs> LearningSeries.EWTN.com. Again, everybody's looking for all kinds of stuff. I'm looking right now. They've got, uh, in addition to the In His Sandals series, it's a six-part online book study with Father Joseph Mary. They've got a Seven Last Words series, which I'm bookmarking now for Holy Week. Cool. Um, and some other stuff on there. So LearningSeries.EWTN.com if you want to check that out. And there it is. There it and is. there you have it. What would Jesus do? I, well, he'd probably walk on water, and I can't do that. So starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Have you subscribed to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes? When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. The 13th station. Jesus' body is removed from the cross. When evening came, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, arrived and boldly went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate released the corpse to Joseph, who bought a shroud and took Jesus down from the cross. The violent death at the hands of the enemy was done compassionate care by friends was now given him. His slain body was received by his mother, and she embraced it, only deepening the sorrow and grief. He had now given everything that he might be resurrected from death to bring new life to his people. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Deacon Bill Mullaney. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld from About Eating. And you can find her linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. It's always great to talk to her at any time, but during this season of Lent, where we're all rethinking our approach to food, it's especially helpful. Good morning, Rita. Well, good morning, Matt. And I've got a couple recipes. I know one for the kids and one for the adults from Good Fish. All right, sounds great. Well, fish, you don't have to look far in the Bible to find them, do you? Oh, my gosh, no. Um... There were, from what I can understand, about 40 different kinds of fish that just abounded in those waters. Um, you think of the Sea of Galilee, the Nile, the Jordan Rivers, and the Mediterranean Sea, um, just abounded with fish, as I said. And then, of course, in the Bible, as you said, 
Um, think of, of Matthew in chapter 15. You know, we all know the story of the loaves and fishes where Jesus uh, took several loaves of bread and a few small fish and miraculously fed, what, 4,000 people or even more, and they had leftovers. So yeah, that's 4,000 men, not even counting the women and children, as Matthew's Gospel tells us. Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of references to this. He pulls Peter and Andrew and James and John out of their boats, right, to follow him, <laughs> you know. We know that Jesus ate fish after the resurrection, uh, and, you know, these were— uh, this was a major industry, right? I mean, this is how a lot of people made their money, was by catching these things. Oh, yeah, and it's interesting because uh, back then, if you did sell fish, any fish that was caught uh, for sale had to be counted, and that was necessary, of course, the usual tax purposes, and also um, so that everybody each got their, their fair share. Um, and I didn't know this. This is interesting, too. Fish had to be sold while the water was still on them, remained on them. So you know it really had to be really fresh. All right. So cod is a fish that is going to show up at a lot of fish fries mm-hmm. and in a lot of Catholic kitchens and in a lot of drive through restaurant sandwich menus, right? Cod is one of those classic go-to fishes that a lot of people eat during Lent. So let's talk about a couple of these recipes you have. Um, and I want to know about this fried fish with pretzel, pretzel crust. I've actually tried this before. It's actually really good. Oh, yeah, it is. It, uh, I love revisiting this recipe because, um, well, as we go through it, you'll, you'll find out uh, why. You want to start off with about anywhere 12 to 16 ounces of fillets, and you mentioned cod. That's always a good one. Um, if they're frozen, you want to thaw them and make sure you uh, dry them so that they fry up. And then if, if you want to make, like, uh, fish sticks for the kids, just cut those into thick sticks. And then um, what you're going to do, you're going to do what we call dry, wet, dry. You're going to have one bowl with some flour and either seafood seasoning, seasoned salt or regular salt, um, and some pepper. Let the kids whisk that up. And then in uh, like a shallow bowl, you want to have somebody whisk up a couple eggs. And then the third bowl, the dry, wet, dry, that's where you're going to put in some crushed pretzels. Um, a good, I said a half a generous cup, I usually use more. You, you can use pretzel sticks. Um, depends on what you or your kids like. What would you use? You want to just crush those up. There's so many different kinds of pretzels now. Yeah, just the sticks uh, are usually fine. Um, and, and honestly, you know, a lot of what you want out of the pretzels is already in the bottom of whatever bag of pretzels you got, right? They're already dusted up. And the easy thing to do is just, uh, you know, I put them in a Ziploc bag and hit them mm-hmm. with a rolling pin. I mean, that's all you really got to do. Yeah, that's true. And that's a good tip, too, about what's left in the bottom of the bag. You've already got them crushed. That's anyway, also the saltiest part, too. Oh, yeah, I love that. Um, basically, you're going to fry those, not deep fry them. Um, I put about, oh, a half an inch of, of oil some canola oil, whatever oil, in a skillet, and you just want to fry those till they're golden brown on both sides. It doesn't take long. It took about five minutes total in my skillet, and you want to just drain them on paper towels. And um, you can either serve them as tacos, um, just fish sticks for the kids with tartar sauce. Really, really delicious. And it's just such a versatile recipe because when you buy cod for the, the kids for the fish sticks, then you can buy a few extra pieces for uh, lemon butter pan-fried fish for the adults. Yeah, this one's really simple, and I'm looking at uh, what's in it. You're only looking at about, what, three or four ingredients? 
Uh, I mean, basically, they're all in the name of the title of the recipe, right? Lemon, butter, fish, a pan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's not exactly. Much more than that. Um, and the the tip here, I always say, is always dry your fish. You know, pat it dry so that because um, any extra moisture, when especially when you saute or fry fish, it's gonna affect the browning and it'll steam instead of brown. So basically, you want to have the fish dried and then. Um, I usually just sprinkle some seafood seasoning on each piece, um, and when you do, I like to press the mixture in it as I go. And then um, you're just going to basically fry those in some olive oil or olive oil and butter. Um, and then you, meanwhile, you're going to have made up um, the sauce, as you mentioned. It's just like one-fourth a cup of melted butter, juice and zest from one large lemony, lemon. And if you want a little seasoning in there, you could throw that in there too. So as the, the fish cooks, you want to baste it a bit. I like to baste it a bit with some of the butter seasoning and then save some um, as a, like a drizzle sauce after it's fried. Again, really easy, um, really light too compared to the other fish recipes and something for everyone. And that, by the way, makes an excellent fish sandwich as well. Yeah, it looks great. And uh, it's simple, straightforward. And uh, you've also, you know, recommended put a little tartar sauce on it uh, i just was gonna ask you with like a, just a second here uh, i just basically go mayo dill pickle or dill pickle relish and lemon for tartar sauce and that's about all i do for mine you got any quick tips uh, well i love frishes but that's a lot more complicated so heck i'm gonna make yours that yeah, sounds I mean, it's, like a winner it is the uh it is the 30 second tar tartar sauce <laughs> method that's well, my mat well, thank you so much, Rita Heikenfeld. We've got AboutEating.com linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Have a wonderful day. I will, and I'll talk to you next week. All right, again, everything linked at SunriseMorningShow.com, including our video feed. Check it out there. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna with news. Good morning. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says a potential ceasefire deal with Hamas is being held up, he says, by Hamas's, quote, delusional claims appearing on CBS's Face the Nation yesterday. The Israeli leader said the two sides are still far apart on negotiations for a potential six-week ceasefire that could involve the exchange of about 40 hostages for Palestinian prisoners. Netanyahu said Hamas needs to abandon its, quote, crazy demands to get back in the ballpark for reasonable negotiations. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says his country needs more weapons from allies in its continued defense against Russia. In an interview with NBC News, Zelensky said Russian President Vladimir Putin is looking to continue his war Further into Europe, he said if allies are ready to give the country air defenses, he can use them to save civilians, historical centers, and hospitals. Saturday marked two years since Russia last invaded Ukraine. The Holy Father is calling for a diplomatic solution to the war in Ukraine that would lead to just and everlasting peace. During his Angelus address yesterday, the Holy Father noted the second anniversary this weekend of the Russian invasion. He said the war is becoming terribly long and the end is not yet in sight. The Pope also called for peace in the Israel-Hamas war as well as in Congo. He noted the rise in kidnappings in Nigeria, praying for the church there, and also prayed for the people of Mongolia dealing with extreme cold. 
In his Angelus Address Catechesis, the Pope reflected on the Gospel reading of the Transfiguration for the second Sunday of Lent, inviting the faithful to open themselves to the light of Jesus. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubov reports. When the disciples see the Lord in all his glory on the high mountain, the Pope said, they understand the unique light that is Jesus. The disciples were to never again divert their eyes, especially in moments of trial, saying the same applies to everyone today. The message, he insisted, is never divert your eyes from the light of Jesus. Ecco il messaggio. Non staccare mai gli occhi dalla luce di Gesù. The Pope compared this act to what farmers used to do in the past when plowing fields, focusing their gaze on a specific point ahead of them, keeping their eyes fixed on the goal to trace straight furrows. This is what we Christians are called to do in the journey of life, he said. Always keep before our eyes the radiant face of Christ, who is love and endless life, who always accompanies us. To help us do this, the Pope encouraged regular prayer, listening to the Lord's Word and the sacraments. But it also helps us, he said, to look people in the eye, learning to see God's light in everyone. The Pope went on to offer a Lenten resolution to faithful, namely to open our gaze to become seekers of the light of Jesus in prayer and in people. Pope Francis urged the faithful to join him in asking themselves some key questions. In my journey, do I keep my eyes fixed on Christ who accompanies me? Do I seek out every little ray of Jesus' light, which is reflected in me and every brother and sister I encounter? Pope Francis concluded by praying that Mary, radiant with the light of God, help us to keep our gaze fixed on Jesus and to look at each other with trust and love. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. Donald Trump came out on top in South Carolina's GOP presidential primary over the weekend. He won the state Saturday night after already winning in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Nikki Haley has vowed to stay in the race. Trump is calling on the Alabama legislature to protect in vitro fertilization. Brian Shook reports. This after the Alabama Supreme Court's ruling that frozen embryos are children. The ruling means frozen embryos are now protected under the state's wrongful death of a minor act. Trump, in a post on Truth Social, said he strongly supports the availability of IVF for couples trying to have a baby. He called on the state legislature to find a solution to preserve IVF. I'm Brian Shook. The Midwest and the East Coast will remain in an unusually early heat wave with temperatures expected to be as much as 40 degrees above average. That's the news. It's 35 past the. the Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah 
at sacredheartradio.com. If you're switching from coffee to tea for Lent, the Mystic Monks have got you covered with a dozen options from your usual Darjeeling and Earl Grey to more exotic flavors like lemongrass mint and blossoming jasmine. Whether you're buying tea or coffee, you can support the Sunrise Morning Show by earning us a commission on your purchase when you click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. While you're there, browse the Sunrise Morning Show mugs and etched travel mugs in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee and tea at sonrisemorningshow.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. St. Augustine says that if we want to die well, we must live well. As our life is, so shall our death be. To sum up the matter in a few words, we say that the rule for a happy death is to lead a good life. Placing our trust in the merits of the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, without whom every day would be a terrible and terrifying event. Do not trust your spiritual enemies, even if they leave you in peace for a while. They can initiate a terrible war at any time. Remember, there is no state in life without its problems and frustrations. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Chris Armstrong. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. Thanks for joining us on a Monday morning, this 26th day of the month of February. Still got a few more February days left because it is a leap year. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father John Gavin, author of Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer. We've been going through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and looking where the Church Fathers are cited, and it is, well, there's a lot. So, Father Gavin, good morning. Good morning. Okay, so we get to talk about St. Leo the Great and St. Augustine in one thought today. They're spread over a few paragraphs, Catechism 1115 through 1118. So in this section of the Catechism, what are we talking about? So we have been looking at the sacraments and the liturgy in the life of the Church, and this section is titled The Paschal Mystery in the Church's Sacraments. And this, uh, these two quotes appear in two sections of that. One is titled The Sacraments of Christ, in which the Catechism uh, teaches that the sacraments have been instituted by Christ, and that the Church, as the body of Christ through the Holy Spirit, ministers the sacraments, the saving actions of Christ in history. And then we have a second section, the sacraments of the Church, and there the Catechism looks at the seven sacraments and says that the sacraments are of the Church because they are by her and for her. So in the first part, Leo the Great appears, and in the second part, uh, St. Augustine appears. Okay, so you know, just to touch into the uh, the idea of the sacraments being uh, of the church, and mm-hmm. then they are by her and for her. I think that a lot of Americans immediately key in on a government of the people for the people and you know <laughs> by the people, uh, and to to think that the people are the heart of you know what makes you know America America. I mean, we're mm-hmm. thinking that here uh, that the sacraments are part of what makes the church the church. I mean, this is. Mm-hmm. This is part of the steal. So when we hear Leo the Great say in paragraph 1115 that what was visible in our Savior has passed over into his mysteries, 
Let's mm. not forget, right, that when we're talking about the sacraments being what the church is of and for and by, we're actually talking about Christ, right? Absolutely. In fact, that quote from uh, Pope St. Leo comes from a sermon that he gave on the Ascension. And what he's uh, talking about in that sermon, it's something we perhaps don't think about enough, is in the Ascension, we, we are saying that, in a way, uh, Christ is absent. He's not here, that we are waiting for him to come. And yet, at the same time, he is here, particularly in the sacraments, the continuing saving actions of our Lord. And so he writes out, uh, writes here in his uh, sermon, and so that which till then was visible of our Savior, that is, in his life before the Ascension, has passed over to his mysteries, and that faith might be more excellent and stronger, sight gave way to doctrine, the authority of which was to be accepted by believing hearts, enlightened with rays from above. So he's saying that even after the Ascension, though we await the Lord, we still encounter him in the life of the Church through the sacraments. So this is where uh, it's helpful to, I, I think, remember that, that we're not dealing with some false dichotomy here. Sometimes people from outside the Church, or perhaps people who were raised Catholic and then quote-unquote found Christ in another Christian tradition, I hear this all mm. the time, right? Mm. Um, who, uh, who you know, they were raised Catholic and then they found the Lord in their evangelical congregation. And they'll pit this idea of Jesus against the sacraments, um, mm -hmm. as though to say, well, I used to have this whole thing, it was like run by sacraments, and now I have this life in Christ. And the Church does not make that kind of distinction, right? The Church says, you know, the sacraments are the mystery of Christ coming to us. And you know, mm -hmm. these are not, like, rituals and activities off to the side, and, like, Jesus is over here on the other side. I mean, Jesus is in these sacraments, Absolutely. Every sacrament is an encounter with the Lord, right, and a reception of his saving grace. What, what we remember as Catholics is that, uh, well, we're, we're very earthy, and, and we're in history. I mean, that is the incarnation. And we continue to, as a Church, receive the fruits of the incarnation and the Paschal mystery uh, through every encounter that we have in the seven sacraments. Well, I mean, I just think of something like, uh, like death, right? Mm -hmm. um, the 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 way that the church, you know, has curated these sacraments given to her by Christ, they really touch all kind of the most important parts in a person's life, mm -hmm. uh, all the way up to death. So, in death, uh, you know, an outsider might think, "Oh, we're going to do some rituals." When this person really ought to be praying to the Lord. When in fact, if you look at those rituals, what's often happening in an anointing of the sick, uh, sometimes accompanied by confession, sometimes con uh, accompanied by viaticum, a final Eucharist, you are getting like a supercharged experience of Christ's grace in the sacraments in that moment. Or baptism, you know, seemingly this ritual that happens at the beginning of life for many babies, you're saying, we're going to start this person's life with mm -hmm. a, you know, grace-filled encounter with Christ. When you get married, right, we're going to make sure that this is, you know, a grace-filled moment where we're, we're emphasizing. We want this to happen in a church because Christ is here. All these moments throughout life are a reminder that, that Christ is wanting to break in at these most important times. When you have fallen, when you have failed, Christ wants to break in. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, sorry. 
No, I, I was going to say that, yes, I mean, the, the, the sacraments form us in every period of our lives because uh, our entire life is to enter into the body of Christ. And another way to look at it, too, is that every one of the sacraments also form us for the fuller participation in the Eucharist, uh, that we can look at baptism, uh, confession, uh, or even anointing of the sick, that they are bringing us into the life of the Eucharist now, but also the eternal banquet. We're being formed for that as well. So it's all, sometimes one can almost see the, the sacraments kind of revolving around that participation in the Eucharist, in the celebration of the Mass. Well, I would love to hear your explanation of this maybe a little bit. Uh, I think it can be easy for Catholics in the pews to get a little, uh, what I'm going to call, prepositional disorientation. Uh, mm. So <laughs> there are a lot of words that fly around in the course of the Mass. We've just talked about the sacraments being of the Church, but they are also by the Church and for the Church. Uh, you know, this is the same Church that has you say, right, through him and with him, and in mm-hmm. him, right, all glory mm-hmm. and honor is, is, is the Lord's. So how, what are we to make of it when we get all those kinds of prepositions where we hear that, you know, glory is through and with and in Christ, and the sacraments are by and of and for the Church? Like, how are we supposed to wrap our minds around some of this? Sure. I think it's uh, one, one of my professors once said that uh, so much of theology comes down to prepositions. Mm. And in this case, when we see by her and for her, I mean, the by her, by the Church, takes us back again to that quote from Pope Leo, that the Church has been missioned by Christ to minister these saving actions through the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, it is in the life of the Church that we encounter the Lord in the sacraments, and yet at the same time, the Church herself is formed by these sacraments, given shape. Uh, They are for her because they are the font of grace, uh, that comes to us from Christ. And so the Church requires the sacraments for her very formation, for her very existence and presentation in the world. So we we have to emphasize both, by her and yet uh, for her. They are ministered by the Church and yet form the Church, give her shape in the world. That's... Uh... That's helpful to me, at least. <laughs> so I appreciate it, Father John Gavin. And, and I do think that it's important for us to pay attention to these prepositions, you know, mm. because they, they, they speak, prepositions speak of relationship, right? That's the nature of a preposition, right. a thing in relation to another thing, a person in relation to another person, us in relation to God. So, Father John, we've got uh, your book, Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thank you again. Have a wonderful day. You as well. God bless. All right. 14 till Father Patrick Briscoe joins us next. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. 
Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. If you're switching from coffee to tea for Lent, the Mystic Monks have got you covered with a dozen options from your usual Darjeeling and Earl Grey to more exotic flavors like lemongrass mint and blossoming jasmine. Whether you're buying tea or coffee, you can support the Sunrise Morning Show by earning us a commission on your purchase when you click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. While you're there, browse the Sunrise Morning Show mugs and etched travel mugs in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee and tea at sonrisemorningshow.com. Bible in a Year with me, Father Mike Schmitz, is now available right here on Catholic Radio. Encounter God's voice and learn how to live life through the lens of Scripture with a new episode every day. I hope you'll join me as we discover how the story of salvation unfolds and how we fit into that story today. Bible in a Year and Catechism in a Year with Father Mike Schmitz, tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific on EWTN Radio. Hi, this is Janet Williams. Please join us for Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Wipe that sleep out of your eyes and now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 till, here's Anna with headlines. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has marked the second anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, saying his country needs more weapons from allies to continue their defense. Pope Francis, during his Angelus address yesterday, called for a diplomatic solution to the war in Ukraine. And Donald Trump has won the South Carolina primary and over the weekend as well called on the legislature in Alabama to protect in vitro fertilization. Next newscast coming up in about 13-ish minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Father Patrick Briscoe is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's editor of our Sunday Visitor. Good morning, Father. Good morning. Great to be with you. It is great to have you. Now, I know you are coming off a weekend at your home parish where you were preaching the 40 Hours Devotion. How was it? Absolutely. Well, really grand. Yeah, it was a, Crammed, a very moving, huh? a moving thing. Yeah, well, I was just a really really touched by uh, all the memories that came back and it was so powerful to remember how much i'd been given uh, by by my home over these years uh-huh. and how much of my faith was formed here at St. Charles in Fort Wayne and uh, all the people that helped me really really to come to know the lord um growing up it, it was really incredible to experience all that again that is incredible what did you preach about so I was thinking about um, I was thinking about the the importance of the transfiguration and coming to see Jesus' glory, and I think there's a connection there in the Eucharist where the Lord reveals Himself to us because this is what He gives the disciples ultimately in the moment of the transfiguration. He gives them Himself, yeah. and that's what the Lord gives any of us uh, in order to uh, strengthen us against the trials of life. He just He gives us Himself. And we have that gift in the Eucharist. All of us can come to him and uh, spend time before him on the mountaintop in the Eucharist. And that gives us the strength we need to descend into the valleys of life and, and to continue on in our earthly pilgrimage. 
You know, it's really beautiful thinking about the altar as a, a Mount Tabor of sorts. Absolutely. The place where Christ is revealed to us. When the priest says, this is my body, we see, we see his face. Wow. We know who that is hiding under the veil of bread. That's really beautiful. Now, over at our Sunday Visitor, you have uh, put up some Eucharistic reflections for the Stations of the Cross. And, I mean, obviously the institution of the Eucharist happens just on the cusp of, uh, I guess you could say, the first station. You know, the I, I mean, I guess you could say that the institution of the Eucharist really introduces the passion narrative, um, but the Stations of the Cross, of course, begin with his being condemned to death. So from there until the crucifixion and burial, I mean, what does the Eucharist have to do with the way of the cross, Father? Well, fundamentally, the Eucharist is the memorial of Jesus' passion. Um, this is what we understand from uh, devotional prayers, like the prayer of St. Thomas Aquinas, the sacred banquet, what we remember memorial of the Passion, uh, that is the Eucharist. Uh, but the, the Eucharist is a memorial because it presents to us what Jesus did on Calvary, making it accessible mm-hmm. for us to tap into those graces in our daily lives. It's as if we're standing at the foot of the cross when we approach the Holy Sacrament. And so I, so I took these um, theological principles and allowed, allowed myself to pray through the Stations of the Cross, thinking about the Eucharist. Now, this is not my idea. This is a genre of, yes. of work here, let's be clear, this, uh, this kind of Eucharistic station. So St. Peter Julian Amar has uh, a set, for example, and um, there's a, another fabulous one written by a, a Jesuit that I've come to know pretty well um, that's available, the Eucharistic Heart of Jesus, Stations of the Cross of the Eucharistic Heart of Jesus. So, so there, are, there, are, there are other versions of this. This is kind of a genre, but I, I think it's fun to it's fundamentally there, the connection is fundamentally there, because of the nature of the Eucharist as the memorial of Jesus' passion. So recalling the stations and coming to understand uh, the passion while meditating on the Eucharist isn't, um, isn't a superficial thing, but rather an organic relationship. Mm. Well, that's funny you should put it like that, because uh, I was thinking about how um, it's kind of amazing how varied the reflections can be uh, when you're doing the Stations of the Cross. Um, I mean, sometimes I've heard reflections that are just so beautiful, so perfectly paired with with this or that station, but then sometimes they can be a little uh, forced, if you will, you know? Sure, um, I'm wondering, especially, if uh, especially if you've got something thematic that you're trying to build. Exactly, you're trying to like, you're trying to like, force it into whatever is the theme that that you want to to stick with for for this you know devotion um did you have any trouble finding a way to to fit the eucharist in uh no i did not <laughs> I've, I've i've read these stations with great ease um and again like i said because of the organic connection i think that's possible and also because there are there are, there are so many very beautiful uh, versions of the Stations of the Cross that one can pray with, and then uh, meditate on and discover a connection to the Eucharist therefrom. So another set of Stations of the Cross that I really love is by Carol Hauslander. Mm. Some people will know her her book, The Read of God. Um, But she has a very beautiful meditation of the Stations of the Cross. Another set that I love is the the set by the poet, Paul Claudel, very inspiring. Mm. And... 
So, so I think um, I think that uh, one of the one of the great things about the stations is that there are so many, as we're saying, different versions of them, and those can inspire uh, new ones, and they can inspire us in our prayer. Which station did you find most moving as as you were meditating upon them in light of the Eucharist to to write these uh, these reflections? You know, Anna, I knew you were going to ask that, and I was already already perturbed because it's a little bit of Sophie's <laughs> it's choice. Such you know? an unfair question, I know. <laughs> but but okay, having said that, um, I will say I really love this idea of. Um, uh, of the uh, of the first station where where Jesus is revealed to the people as the one who will be condemned, um, where where Pilate says, you know, behold the man, yeah. because we we have that in the mass where the priest lifts lifts the host and says, behold the Lamb of God. Um, this is the this is the one. This is the King. Yeah, um, it's I an was... incredible moment of revelation. Absolutely. I was really moved uh, just on the second station, Father, where you talked about how he stooped under the weight of the cross as he fell. And and mm. thinking about that in light of the Eucharist and Jesus stooping to be with us, you know, in the form of bread. I mean, talk about the humility, the stooping that he has there. Um, just incredible. Go check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, over at our sundayvisitor.com, you can find that linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father Patrick, thank you. Hey, thanks for having me on, and have a great day. You do the same. Thank you. All right, we got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up for most of our affiliates here on EWTN Radio. Continue on this Monday, the 26th of February. Let's pray a prayer written by St. John Eudes in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. O Lord, you have created me for yourself to love you and to enjoy you. Infinite good, ineffable beauty, do not permit me to lose sight of the sublime end toward which I must tend. Do not permit me to wander among the wretched satisfactions that vain, feeble creatures can offer me. Lord, in the past, I have turned aside from you who are my beginning and my end and my supreme good. If I turn my, torn myself and creatures preferring their will and mine to yours, I here and now promise to renounce entirely and forever the world and myself and to give myself wholly and forever to you. Oh my God, I give myself to you as my beginning. Take complete possession of me. May I always abide in you. Be the beginning and end of all my actions, my delight, my glory, my treasure, my all. Amen. It's a better way to start a Monday, the Sunrise Morning Show. Glad you're listening here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We've got a video feed up and running. You can find that in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. You can find a link to watch us on Facebook and YouTube and all kinds of funny things. You can figure out what we look like if that sort of thing matters to you. I already know what Teresa Tamio looks like because she does all kinds of things on EWTN television already. She'll join us from 
EWTN and Ave Maria Radio's, Radio's Catholic Connection here in just a few minutes after the news. Brendan Hodge will discuss vocations, and he's using the Diocese of Columbus as a case study. He's a stat man, uh, does analytics for the pillar. Bear Wozniak will talk about being resolute in our spiritual lives, and Stephanie Mann joins us. She, of course, is our English Catholic history correspondent. Plus, we got lots more. Who knows what's us in the pipeline? It's two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Pope Francis has canceled his appointments today as he continues to deal with what's been described as mild flu-like symptoms. Vatican News reports the Holy Father had canceled his Saturday audiences as well, but he did address the faithful for the Angelus yesterday. A statement from the Holy See Press Office this morning says, quote, mild flu-like symptoms persist. There is no fever. As a precaution, however, Pope Francis's audiences this morning are suspended, end quote. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis made another appeal for peace as he marked the second anniversary this weekend of the war in Ukraine. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Pope Francis on Sunday lamented the deaths, injuries, destruction, anguish, and tears of the past two years since Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, a period, the Pope said, that is becoming terribly long and whose end is not yet in sight. In remarks following the Sunday Angelus, the Pope warned that the war in Ukraine is not only devastating the region of Europe, but unleashing a global wave of fear and hatred. While renewing his vivid sympathy and prayers for the tormented Ukrainian people, the Holy Father pleaded for the recovery of that little bit of humanity that will allow the conditions for a diplomatic solution to be created in the search for a just and lasting peace. In the latest news from Ukraine, Ukrainian Defense Minister Rustam Umarov warned Sunday that his country was losing territory in its grinding war with Russia because, in his words, 50% of weapons promised by Western partners failed to reach Kiev in time. The announcement comes as Ukraine faces an unprecedented humanitarian crisis as a result of the Russian invasion. I'm Christopher Wells. The Holy Father also had prayers for peace in the Holy Land as well as in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. He noted a rise in kidnappings in Nigeria and prayed for the church there. He also prayed for the people of Mongolia who have been dealing with extreme cold. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says a potential ceasefire deal with Hamas is being held up by what he called Hamas's, quote, delusional claims. Mark Mayfield reports. Appearing on CBS Face the Nation, the Israeli leader said the two are still far apart on negotiations for a potential six-week ceasefire that could involve the exchange of about 40 hostages for Palestinian prisoners. Netanyahu said Hamas needs to abandon its crazy demands to get back in the ballpark in negotiations. I'm Mark Mayfield. It was another win for Donald Trump this weekend, this time coming out on top in South Carolina's GOP presidential primary. Trump won the state Saturday night after already winning in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. 
In South Carolina, the win is significant because it means White House hopeful Nikki Haley lost her own home state. Haley was the governor of South Carolina from 2011 to 2017. She has vowed to stay in the race to give Republicans an option other than the former president. Meanwhile, Donald Trump has called on the legislature in Alabama to protect in vitro fertilization. Brian Shook reports. This after the Alabama Supreme Court's ruling that frozen embryos are children. The ruling means frozen embryos are now protected under the state's wrongful death of a minor act. Trump, in a post on Truth Social, said he strongly supports the availability of IVF for couples trying to have a baby. He called on the state legislature to find a solution to preserve IVF. I'm Brian Shook. AT&T is going to provide customers affected by Thursday's network outage a $5 credit. In a statement on its website, the cellular provider said the customers will receive it within two billing cycles. AT&T says a software update is to blame. And the future of the NFL will gather at Lucas Oil Stadium today. The scouting combine officially kicks off in Indianapolis. More than 300 of the best college football players have a chance to showcase their skills in front of coaches, general managers, and scouts. Many players hoping to improve their stock ahead of the draft in April. Just proof that the NFL has a way to try and get eyeballs on the television. Mm-hmm. Well, all 52 weeks of the year. I have never watched a minute of the combine. I, it's not my thing. Or like the uh, when people are like, do they have like micro through, like, betting the draft stuff? And yeah, do they do betting on the combine? I'm sure they do. they do betting on everything. Anna Mitchell <laughs> commercials are bad enough, but when they're all about prop betting, it makes sports even even yeah. worse. I did uh, catch a couple uh, spring training games over the weekend. Listen, oh, nice. while I was doing various tasks. Cool. Cool. Proud to say my uh, Cincinnati Reds are 2-0 and in spring training, which, of course, doesn't even matter at all. Right, But right. It, feel, it still feels good. I missed it all. I was giving a talk at, a, at my uh, – well, actually, at your old parish, St. Oh, yeah? James of the Valley St. in James Wyoming, of the Valley. Ohio. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. I was uh, actually – I only caught the tail end of the Red Spring Training game, yes, game yesterday because I was down – at the right of election at oh, the right. National Shrine for nice. Washington, D.C., taking a group from my parish down there. Cool. Uh, many of them had never been inside that building before. And they really? Were... It's always fun. Yeah, so you look two places when you go in. Uh, I, I watch the faces. They they walk in, and they immediately look up. They see Jesus. Yeah. And they see, well, they see uh, not just him. I mean, well, they see him on, like, every panel. Right. And they see Mary everywhere, the saints. And then they sort of look down and, like, realize, oh, all these other people are coming into the church, too. <laughs> so yeah. it's actually so big for the Archdiocese of Washington that we have to have two rites of election. At the National Basilica. At the National Shrine. That's... And if you know how big that is. Wow. So they had one full house last week. That's incredible. And then one full house yesterday afternoon. Wow, 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 wow. Amazing. We're praying so for like all of you. I hope, I hope lots of our catechumens are listening to Catholic Radio. Yeah, if you are. It was good to see you in the crowd yesterday in D.C., awesome. uh, but uh, this is going on all over the place, all over the country, these rights of election. Cool. Teresa Tamio now joining us from EWTN Ave Maria Radio's Catholic Connection. Teresa, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well, and I know you've been spending time in Pennsylvania, or as our uh, mutual friend Dr. Scott Hahn, uh, who hails from there, calls it Punsylvania, because he's Punsylvania. a pun <laughs> 
was a fun match. Yeah, I'm in Philadelphia. I, I wrapped up a uh, presentation last night to uh, Pennsylvania Human Life Organization, and they had about 500 people at the dinner. And then on Saturday night, I had the opportunity to attend the premiere locally here of uh, the movie Cabrini because the person behind it, uh, who really came up with the whole idea and had a devotion to Mother Cabrini, Eustace Wolfington, this is his hometown, and I had connected with him about a week ago, getting some background and research, and then we found out kind of at the last minute that they were having the premiere, so they invited me uh, because I was in early for the talk, and it, it was amazing. So two big events, and I was telling um, Paul what, what impressed me so much about the group, not only the pro-life group last night, not only the wonderful, obviously dedicated people to the pro-life movement, but I've spoken, and I'm sure you have too, and Annie, at many a pro-life event, fundraiser, dinner, but as I said to the group last night, this was the first time I'd actually seen half the room filled with young people. And several of the young people got up to speak because they were talking about how they went to the March of Life and went to the state pro-life Pennsylvania March. And then they gave several awards to the kids. And I'm telling you, um, you guys, it, if you are doubtful about the future of the pro-life movement, you should have been there last night because these kids were so articulate, just like the students that I interview over here at the March in Washington and on fire for the faith. And they have a very particular reason, a very personal reason. You know, they're survivors, right? But they have very particular reasons as to why they're so pro-life. So that was off the charts amazing. I, I'm like, I got up there and said, what am I doing here? I don't need to speak. you got these young people. Just let them talk. But then the night before was huge to be at the um, the screening for Cabrini, and I happened to meet the actress who played Cabrini, and David Morse was there because he's from Philly. It was the, Seeing the movie on the big screen was incredible. I, I had a link to it, so I watched it on my computer, but seeing it on the big screen was crazy. It's an amazing, epic film. Well, I'm so that's what I've done that. this weekend. Yeah. Well, I should say, in regard to those you know, high schoolers giving those testimonies and those witnesses, I will say I'm pleased but not surprised because yeah. uh, my wife has been working in Catholic education for the past 20 years, and I've seen him come through every year, yeah. steady stream yeah. of really strong, articulate, well-formed, joyful uh, people who are uh, you know, ready to try and do what they can to be a voice for those who have no voice. And they make cooler posters than the older people do. <laughs> uh, you already know this, Teresa, from March for Life. Old people make their posters, and they've got, them, got their, like, their catchphrases and whatever, but the young people, they're creative. They, they make oh, good yeah. posters. The posters are awesome. I love to see the stories after the march with with all the different sayings. And then when you talk to them at the march, every single one of them, again, as you said, they're so articulate and they're there for a reason. It gets me so frustrated when I see uh, some people claiming in the media that the students only come there because they get a day off. It's like, how ridiculous. All right, you want to sit on a bus for 12, 13, 14 hours and then stand out in the cold for eight hours? Yeah, that sounds like fun. And then sleep on the floor in you know, houses and, and the basement of churches. So it's just so encouraging to understand that they're really dedicated to it. So it was it was really a great evening. But, but everybody's got to go see the movie Caprini. It's so good. Have you seen it yet? I have not seen it yet. But I was going to ask you about your experience. Uh, you know, movie had you been to a movie premiere uh, before? I I don't I never know what you have and haven't done in the world of media because I've been to a couple of them. <laughs> I've been to premieres, but not like this. This is a red carpet. They had like the photographers. I've been to a couple and, of red carpets. Yeah. It was pretty exciting because um, uh, Alejandro Monteverde was there and uh, Leo Severino. Now, it's what's, what uh, you and I as radio hosts and Annie, we often interview people on the phone you know, several times, as, as I've done, because they were involved in so many great movies like Bella and Sound of Freedom. But this is the first time I met them in person. They're like, oh, we're putting a face with a voice. And, and, but it was just very, very uh, exciting. And you know what I loved at the end? They did a Q&A afterwards with the, with the whole crew, everybody who was there from, from the movie. David Morris, the actress who played Mother Cabrini, the actress who played uh, Sister Eugenia, 
the director, the producer, Eustace, and a few other people. And the response from the audience, people were in tears and saying, okay, what do I have to do? Where, where do I go? How do I sign up to help Cabrini's uh, charities? And they're, they're donating the money from the film to charitable causes. That's so it's cool. really, really cool. So I hope people get out and see it. It opens up March 8th. And I, it's a great movie to show on International Women's Day because it's so clear in this film, male and female complementarity, and what women are great at and what men are great at. And it's just really well done. Again, I, I love that movie. I'm probably going to watch it another four or five times. All so right. Good. That's a pretty ringing endorsement if you ask yeah. me. Yeah. yeah, I've been to a couple of these things. It is interesting, uh, you know, because you and I get pitched a whole bunch of faith-based films. Right. Uh, you know, and I, you know, I grew up evangelical. I have like this sort of like reflex that happens when I see a faith-based film come through. Cause I know the VHS is we sold through the nineties and two thousands and my, uh, you know, Christian bookstore life. And so I'm always like, ah, oh, is this going to be terrible? I'm going to have to be yeah. like, smile and be nice about it. So when one comes through and you're like, wow, this is really well done. It's, yeah. I, I do feel it's worth us pointing it out. So it doesn't just sound like we're trying to be nice to another faith, faith-based film. Right. I mean, we want to make sure that, uh, when you when you throw your energy and effort behind something that's really well done and really cool, then what you're doing is actually um, not just making that movie well. You're saying, this is how it's done. Look at this one. Next time you make another one and figure out what did this group do right. Yeah, the acting is, is definitely, I mean, it's, it's really excellent. I, I had a chance to meet David Morrison, talk with him, and he actually is a big fan of Mother Angelica and EW10. Oh. And yeah, and is John he, Lithgow he, there? No, John oh. Lithgow wasn't there. I was, yeah, but David Morris was very nice, very down to earth. And but the acting is is superb, and the scenery it opens up. And I'm not sure where they, she's from northern Italy. She's from Lombardy, mm-hmm. but this beautiful scene of of the Italian hillside. It could have been shot anywhere, but it was it was gorgeous. And then the scenes in New York City, the way the way they shot it. It's very well done, and the people in the audience were saying that they felt it was kind of like one of those epic movies that you go back and watch again and again. So I, I cool. think people are going to be very impressed. And I agree with you about some of the earlier Christian films. I would say I would try, I would be very nice, but I would say to people off to the side, okay, look, you know, we've got a we've got the the theme is great, the messaging is great on some of these other films in terms of the message you're trying to get across, but we cannot compete. In the secular world, if we're going to be full of corniness and bad acting, it, it, we've got to up our game. And this was, you know, like, I would say it's in the same category as The Passion of the Christ and Sound of Freedom easily. Well, the Angel Studios is distributing this as well, but it's really well done. And high school students, especially girls, need to go see it because of her strength and what she did. And at the end of the movie, they talk about everything that she did all around the world and all the, the, the schools and the institutions and the orphanages that she started, the hospitals, run by women. So it's a yep. real good statement for the church and the church's support of women. Hey, you don't have to look very hard at the history of the church in the United States to realize that the church here was built by Mother Seton and Mother yep. Cabrini. And Mother Cabrini. <laughs> and like all these right. institutions that we take for granted, Catholic schools and hospitals and everything else. I mean, these are women, and some of them yep. saints, who made yep. this happen. So Teresa Tamio, looking forward to hearing Catholic Connection later this morning. Have a wonderful day. You too, thanks. Ciao. Bye-bye. All right. 17 past. We're back right after this. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. 
because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Each weekday... We'll dive into the timeless teachings of our Catholic faith, drawing upon the wisdom of the ages to navigate the challenges of today. Together, we'll seek truth, find inspiration, and forge a deeper connection with God. I'm Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and I invite you to join me for Beacon of Truth, today at 4 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. the intensity of the of that music bed alone i know right yeah see what you're doing clear that schedule make sure you're dialed in when deacon harold hits this afternoon 19 past here's anna with headlines pope francis has canceled his morning appointments today as he continues to deal with what the holy see has described as mild flu-like symptoms The Holy Father made another appeal for peace in Ukraine as he marked the second anniversary of the Russian invasion during his Angelus address yesterday. And in his catechesis, the Holy Father reflected on the transfiguration, inviting the faithful to open themselves to the light of Jesus. Anna Mitchell, I was reflecting on this the other day because I heard something someone said, and I was like, ah, that's that's not a very smart thing to say, and... Should I say anything or make fun of them or, you know, whatever? And I thought to myself, in the transfiguration, Peter goes up and he's got this stuff going up in front of him. And he says some things and it says he didn't even know what he was saying. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, you know, through the history of the church, through the history of her leaders in the hierarchy and her priests in parishes and her lay people, I feel like that (laughs) applies to a lot of us. A lot of us just kind of, we do not know what we are saying. Subscribe to get the Sunrise Morning Show show notes. When you subscribe, the show notes arrive in your inbox weekday mornings with the list of featured guests, books, articles, and websites we'll discuss. And then you'll also get the podcast with markers to quickly find and hear an interview again or to see the Sunrise Morning Show on video. So to know when your favorite guests are on, Go to sunrisemorningshow.com and click subscribe. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me. 
Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. A meditation and reflection of St. John Vianney. The Christian's treasure is not on earth, but in heaven. Our thoughts, then, ought to be directed to where our treasure is. This is the glorious duty of man, to pray and to love. Prayer is nothing else but union with God. In this intimate union, God and the soul are fused together like two bits of wax that no one can ever pull apart. Prayer never leaves us without sweetness. It is honey that flows into the soul and makes all things sweet. When we pray properly, sorrows disappear like snow before the sun. How often we come to church with no idea of what to do or what to ask for. And yet, whenever we go to any human being, we know well enough why we go. I often think that when we come to adore the Lord, we would receive everything we ask for if we would ask with living faith and with a pure heart. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Mark Watkins. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So happy to have you along with us on this Monday of the second week of Lent. Brendan Hodges joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show. He is Darwin from the Darwin Catholic blog online at darwincatholic.blogspot.com. He's author of If You Can Get It, a novel from Ignatius Press and is a contributing editor to The Pillar. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning. Great to be on with you. It is great to have you. And the Diocese of Columbus, the diocese in which you reside, uh, just held a special collection to support seminarians. And I understand that that support is definitely needed um, for good reasons. Tell us about this. Yes. So the diocese has a problem which uh, a lot of dioceses would love to have, which is that they suddenly have significantly more seminarians in formation than they're used to supporting. That's awesome. Um, so the class of seminarians they started this year was 16 young men who wow. started formation for the priesthood. And uh, that brings the total seminarians in formation to 37. That Last year they had a total of 25 seminarians in formation. So... That's a significant increase. They've normally had somewhere between three and five men going into the program every year, and this year they had 16 starts. So it's it's a lot more men than they're used to supporting. That's incredible. Um, How many ordinations has the diocese had in in recent years? So this is a, a pretty big shift. Last year they ordained one new priest, and the year before that they actually had none. Um, Upcoming this year, they're expecting to ordain um, five young men, so they do have some larger classes coming, but but 16 is just massively more than they've dealt with in the past. Yeah, and I'm sure our listeners on St. Gabriel Radio in the Columbus area are quite thrilled to hear this news if they hadn't heard it already, although it sounds like maybe they did uh, if this was a second collection just recently. But um, where does this put the Diocese of Columbus in comparison to the rest of the country when it comes to new seminarians? So it, it puts them in pretty rarefied territory. Uh, taking a look at the number of seminarians the different dioceses have information, if the diocese actually kept up 
this uh, this rate. Obviously, this is just one big class. Sure. But if you look at dioceses that routinely have uh, more than 12 seminarians entering each year, there are really only about 10 dioceses around the country that have that many seminarians. And that's a combination of the very biggest dioceses, so Los Angeles, Chicago, Washington, and then the dioceses that are just really, really known for vocations, such as Lincoln. Lincoln, Nebraska? Wow. Correct. Lincoln, Nebraska is in the top 10 dioceses in the country in terms of the number of seminarians in formation. That's incredible. Um, So looking at the diocese of Columbus specifically, um, do do they list any reasons uh, to you know, attribute to this, uh, to, to attribute this spike to anything in particular? Well, obviously the, the Holy Spirit has to be a, a significant factor here. So I, I think uh, you can't, uh, you can't leave that out. But um, Bishop Fernandez has made uh, vocations a, a major focus since he came here a year and a half ago. Um, and so some of the things that the diocese has talked about is um, the importance of having young men who are considering the priesthood be meeting with other priests. So the diocese has set up uh, regional uh, regional vocations leads, so who are priests who are uh, focused on talking to young men uh, in their own part of the diocese and making sure that they're spending lots of time with young men who are considering that. And then they're working closely with a lot of programs around the diocese. So there's the Damascus Catholic Mission Campus, where they have mm-hmm. retreats and camps. There are a lot of uh, young men and women who are uh, just out of high school age who come there to work for a year or two as a ministry. And so the diocese and their priests spend a lot of time talking with the young men in that program about whether they may be hearing a call to the priesthood. They have an annual Andrews dinner, which they have at uh, the Pontifical College Josephinum. Um, and they've been very active in inviting high school age uh, boys to come to that dinner and hear from bishop and from uh, priests in the diocese about what it is like to be a priest and to follow a call to the priesthood. And then they also have their um, St. Paul's Outreach and Focus um, student groups, which are very active at Ohio State and at other uh, colleges in the diocese. So that's another place where they've talked with uh, a lot of young men about uh, whether they would be per- hearing a call to the priesthood. You know, this hits home to me, uh, a conversation that we had a number of weeks ago, Brendan, when we were looking at uh, vocation data that you were going through for the pillar and talking about um, what, like actually knowing a priest and a priest actually knowing parishioners when you when you can get to know someone who is in that vocation, all of a sudden it becomes a lot more realistic for a young man. Yeah, that was one of the biggest findings that um, the vocations program found there was that um, a really key thing for young men was being told by a priest that they should consider entering the priesthood. And uh, one of the things that they found is that a lot of priests Actually, although they themselves were told by by priests in their formation, hey, you should consider becoming a priest, a lot of priests themselves had not actually made that move, had not told some young man, hey, I I really think you might be having a call to the priesthood. And so trying to help priests get over that feeling that 
it, it would be it would be pushy or it would be too much to say that to someone and get them really to that spot where they would really call out vocations. Yeah. Well, congratulations to the Diocese of Columbus and Brendan. Thank you. Thank you. All right. It's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Pope Francis has canceled his morning appointments today as he continues to deal with what's been described as mild flu-like symptoms. Vatican News reports the Holy Father had canceled Saturday audiences as well. He did address the faithful for the Angelus yesterday. More on that in a moment. A statement from the Holy See Press Office this morning said, quote, mild flu-like symptoms persist. There is no fever. As a precaution, however, Pope Francis's audiences this morning are suspended, end quote. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis called for a diplomatic solution to the war in Ukraine that would lead to a just and everlasting peace. The Holy Father noted the second anniversary this weekend of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. He said, the war is becoming terribly long and the end is not yet in sight. He also called for peace in the Israel-Hamas war and in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. He noted the rise in kidnappings in Nigeria, praying for the church there, and also prayed for the people of Mongolia dealing with extreme cold. In his catechesis during the Angelus, the Holy Father reflected on the gospel reading of the Transfiguration, inviting the faithful to open themselves to the light of Jesus. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Lubach reports. When the disciples see the Lord in all his glory on the high mountain, the Pope said, they understand the unique light that is Jesus. The disciples were to never again divert their eyes, especially in moments of trial, saying the same applies to everyone today. The message, he insisted, is never divert your eyes from the light of Jesus. Ecco il messaggio. Non staccare mai gli occhi dalla luce di Gesù. The Pope compared this act to what farmers used to do in the past when plowing fields, focusing their gaze on a specific point ahead of them, keeping their eyes fixed on the goal to trace straight furrows. This is what we Christians are called to do in the journey of life, he said. Always keep before our eyes the radiant face of Christ, who is love and endless life, who always accompanies us. To help us do this, the Pope encouraged regular prayer, listening to the Lord's Word and the sacraments. But it also helps us, he said, to look people in the eye, learning to see God's light in everyone. The Pope went on to offer a Lenten resolution to faithful, namely to open our gaze to become seekers of the light of Jesus in prayer and in people. Pope Francis urged the faithful to join him in asking themselves some key questions. In my journey, do I keep my eyes fixed on Christ who accompanies me? Do I seek out every little ray of Jesus' light, which is reflected in me and every brother and sister I encounter? Pope Francis concluded by praying that Mary, radiant with the light of God, help us to keep our gaze fixed on Jesus and to look at each other with trust and love. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says total victory, as he put it, is within reach once Israel's operation in Rafah is completed. He was speaking on CBS's Face the Nation and said the military operation involves evacuating Palestinian civilians from Rafah. It's estimated that there are more than a million Palestinian civilians in that region of Gaza. 
Netanyahu said peace is not possible without, quote, total victory, which he once again defined as destroying all Hamas battalions along with freeing all hostages. In Washington, two congressmen are trying to get a bipartisan border security and foreign aid bill onto the House floor. More from Mark Mayfield. Republican Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania and Democratic Congressman Jared Golden of Maine said on CBS Face the Nation they believe their bill can get the necessary 218 votes in the House. They both agreed a one-party solution likely will not get the votes and a bill needs to grow out of the middle to be able to pass. The bill is an alternative to a Senate bill that House Speaker Mike Johnson has already called dead in the water. I'm Mark Mayfield. AT&T is going to provide customers affected by Thursday's network outage a $5 credit. In a statement on its website, the cellular provider said that customers will receive it within two billing cycles. AT&T said a software update is to blame. That's the news. It's 35 pack. During this season of Lent, may we suggest giving up the coffee shop and making your coffee at home? You could practice this little penance while giving a few alms by purchasing Mystic Monk Coffee. You'll support both the monks and the show because we earn a commission when you go to them through our link at sunrisemorningshow.com. Also at our site, get yourself a Sunrise Morning Show mug, which you can find in our online store. Grab a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. The Pharisees appear quite frequently in the Gospels. Often they are challenged by the Lord for their attention to unimportant details. But there were Pharisees who were good and tried to become better. We know the name of one of them, Nicodemus. In the Jewish tradition, the Pharisees were challenged too. The Talmud, for example, a commentary on the Lord's Word, speaks of seven groups of Pharisees. The first of the seven groups of Pharisees are those who belong to what we might call the shoulder Pharisee. This one likes to make a display of piety. His whole motivation is on outward appearances. Then there's the wait-a-minute Pharisee, who values good deeds over people in need. There's the reckoning Pharisee, who balances one bad deed with one good deed. There's the neglectful Pharisee, who puts aside some good deeds to do his favorite good deeds. There's the show-me Pharisee, who will only admit failure when someone points out one of his faults. There's the fearful Pharisee of punishment from God. And last of all, and most dear to God, is the loving Pharisee. We should all strive to be the loving Pharisee. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Bear Wozniak. We've been going through his book, 12 Rules for Manliness, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone? Bear, good morning. Aloha, Matt. Good to talk to you. Well, one of the themes that's very strong in your book is the idea of being resolute. Now, uh, some people might think resolution and stubbornness are kind of synonymous with one another, but how do you, how do you make some distinctions there? Well, I think one of the things is, is you know, in, in my book, it's, this comes under the chapter, Riding for the Brand. It's like, who do you ride for? 
you're writing for God, uh, that puts you that puts you in the right. So uh, there's a, a a statement that John Wayne said where he said, "There's nothing more dangerous than a man that knows he's in the right and keeps on coming." Actually, it's a quote from Louis L'Amour in, in one of one of the movies that John Wayne was the star in. So there is that <clears throat> on my desk on the bottom right hand corner of my desk, I have a plaque that says, calls my desk the Resolute Desk, Thy Will Be Done. It's based on the name of the, the desk in the, in the Oval Office. It's called the Resolute. And so it's being resolute has to do with God's will being done. And so one of the things we have to do as Catholics is to know what God's will is. When we, and one of the greatest ways to do that, I think, is to just have a daily time when you pick up the Catechism and maybe just read one page, because in that you... Uh, you're being formed, and you know what is the right. You know, like like that statement John Wayne said, there's nothing more dangerous than a man who knows he's in the right. So once we know we're in the right, then it's easy to be resolute. It's easy to be determined, and it's easy to, to be that man whose yes is yes and whose no is no. Yeah, man of your word. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, there's a, a joke that goes around my family, uh, particularly on my dad's side, uh, where we say that some some of the more stubborn, as it were, members of my family, they're often wrong, but never in doubt, right? Like, <laughs> and I think that that's how a lot of us operate, where we may be wrong a lot, but we, we think we're being resolute when really what we're doing is we just refuse to be corrected. Uh, and, you know, I think that's an important distinction here. Like, uh, if you're going to be a, a person, a man of God, a man of virtue, you got to do what you're you know is the right thing, but if you find out later than, that what you were doing was really just your own bullheadedness, you got to have a little bit of a malleability there to, to admit that. There you use one of those big words again, you know. Uh, well, you know, the, um, the confessional is a really good place for that. But part of that, too, is I think, you, you know, being, being formed, you know, reading, let, letting the catechism, letting the Church's teaching form you, and then being in a company of other people— the church, for example, or in the case of men having been in a small men's group or men that you can speak with, you know, who, who will come up to you and say, you know, uh, you're kind of blowing it. I was, I was out surfing yesterday, uh, and a friend of mine, uh, a longtime friend of mine, said, Barry, you got to get in shape. Uh, he, he didn't know I'd just been through kind of a medical situation, but he knew that, he, he knew that I wasn't being the man that I was supposed to be because I'd gained a little bit of weight. So I told my wife, and he said, she said, did that make you feel bad? I go, no, that made me feel great because he knows he's calling me out to be the man that he knows I'm supposed to be. So uh, it just redoubled my, my efforts to get back in shape after this medical situation. But, uh, yeah, we have to, and you know what, and when you're resolute like that, you really become the friend of God. Because, because, you know, Jesus said, I won't call you servants anymore because the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I will call you friends. So when, you, when you're resolute like that, you're someone that God can rely on. He, if you're faithful of small things, he can give you charge over greater. And then the more and more you ride along beside Jesus, you, real, you, you get to know why, not just the what we should do, but the why we should do it. And that re- reaffirms your resoluteness. Yeah, and it does, and that resoluteness has to be lined up with conscience, and that conscience has got to be lined up with right reason and virtue. Uh, there's a fascinating uh, passage in the Catechism, and it's around this uh, this whole section on conscience. It, st- it starts in 1776, which should be easy enough for people to remember in the Catechism, right? It's in 1776, but yeah. um, in 1790, a little further down the segment, it says, "...a human being must always obey the certain judgment of his conscience." 
If he were deliberately, deliberately to act against it, he would condemn himself. Yet it can happen that moral conscience remains in ignorance and makes erroneous judgments. So what is the church mm-hmm. saying if it's saying that you should follow your conscience even if you're an idiot? Uh, well, the church is saying, among other things, if you get into a habit of violating your own principles, then when you do find the truth, you'll be willing to dismiss it, <laughs> right? I mean, that's kind oh, of what the church is saying to us, right? Yeah, and in this day and age, we've been given over to our, a, a reprobate mind. So many people uh, go against their conscience, go against that. It's in so, interesting how that's so instilled in us. You know, it's, it's a God-given, still small voice. And when we it, when we ignore it often enough, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's like it's like a boat without a rudder. And I've been in a boat without a rudder. It's not it's not a pleasant thing to Damn have happen pretty. to you. <laughs> yeah, so so the thing is, is to be to be flexible enough and, and humble enough to receive the word and receive the teaching, uh, and so so that your conscience is clear. One of the things too is when you violate your conscience, uh, you need to go. Uh, seek forgiveness from those that you that you've wronged. Uh, maybe it's only yourself that you've wronged, or maybe it's the Lord that you've wronged. But you need to seek forgiveness and make things right, because if not, gradually you're you're given over over to a reprobate mind, and then you have a rudder that is a rudder that doesn't work in a compass that doesn't tell you the true north. So uh, it's all part of being resolute is knowing the truth, knowing the truth. And but our our kuleana, our responsibility is to is to know the truth. And then and then there's the saying. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But if you look at these T-shirts, people wear, you know, the, the with the American flag on it. They'll say, "There's a, there's a, freedom has its price." Mm-hmm. And so, being resolute is that is that type of man who I love to say, I, my good friend Jason Jones is like who, when he gets up in the morning, the devil says, "Oh no, he's up." You know, it's yeah. that that's the sort of dangerous man we want to be. Well, uh, when I hear freedom has its price, the flag is there, but the cross is much bigger, right? I mean, that yes. is that is right. Yeah. Uh, where everything comes to a to a hinge, but on this on this idea of resolution, here with just a moment left, Bear, yeah. I don't. I'm just curious about your perspective because I know what mine is in this. Uh, when it comes to a person following their conscience, even if they're wrong, if they're resolute and wanting to follow it, would you rather have a conversation about theology and a debate about morality and truth with someone who is resolute and firm in their opinions, or with someone who just didn't care and said, "Yeah, man, you do your own thing"? Like, I yeah, want to talk so- to that person who's got resolution. Because that person yeah. cares about what's true. And that, that's right. And, and truth doesn't change. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So to know the truth is to know Jesus, and, uh, and, to be, and then to be formed in that truth by living out truth uh, is what makes you resolute. You've got to be like that fullback that when, when you get that handoff on the, on the two-yard line and, and, you, and you hit the line and you don't, and you don't score, you go back to the huddle and say, give me the ball again. Give me the ball just again. Keep, just, just keep coming, yeah. <laughs> or you got to, uh, as in the case of the Philadelphia Eagles, you got to get the whole team and say, you know what? I've been doing this on my own. Why don't we get the whole team behind me? And let's go through. <laughs> yeah, Good stuff. Well, Bear Wozniak, we've got your book, 12 Rules of Manliness, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Another great conversation. I know you have these all the time in your man cave. We've got that linked at sunrisemorningshow.com as well. Have a great day. Okay, aloha. All right. Hang ten, brother. We got more with Stephanie Mann coming up after the break. It's a quarter till.
Support is from MediShare. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that is MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save many families up to 500 bucks a month, and that is huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The member satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, really, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with. You can call right now. You'll get a price within two minutes. So see what you can say. This is a very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. Call 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. Did you give up coffee or caffeine for Lent? Be sure to check out the tea and decaf offerings from the Mystic Monks of Wyoming. Find a link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. When you make a purchase after clicking our link, we earn a commission to help support the show. The monks also have their seasonal favorite Pasca Java available for you to buy now in anticipation of your Easter Sunday feast. And why not add a Sunrise Morning Show mug to include in the Easter basket? Find those mugs and a Mystic Monk Coffee link at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN offers the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from Our Lady of the Angels Chapel, live every morning at 8 Eastern. We want to help you draw closer to our Eucharistic King. Our free Mass Guide booklet will help you follow along with the Mass on EWTN and unite with Catholics worldwide. For a free Mass booklet or ebook, visit EWTN.com Catholicism, then click on Readings. Hi, this is Janet Williams. Please join us for Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Wipe that sleep out of your eyes and now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. We're getting it started on a Monday. Hope it's a good start to the school week for many of you. Some of you who have that Monday through Friday gig. Hope it's a good start to the work week for you. 13 till, here's Anna with headlines. Pope Francis has canceled his morning appointments today as he continues to deal with with what's been described by the Vatican as mild flu-like symptoms that persist. The Holy Father did keep his Angelus appointment yesterday with the faithful, and the Holy Father is calling for a diplomatic solution to the war in Ukraine that would lead to a just and everlasting peace. He also prayed for peace in the Holy Land and in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Stephanie Mann. She is the author of Supremacy and Survival, How Catholics Endured the English Reformation. And she joins us each week to dig into either a piece of history related to English Catholicism, or sometimes meditations that have come from the great figures in English Catholic history, and that's certainly the case today. Stephanie, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So we've got more from more, right. as it were. More from more. Thomas More, uh, and yes. uh, we've been looking through uh, his uh, work, A Godly Meditation, um, yes. and there is a lot in here. Today we're talking about grace yes. and the world. Give us a little backdrop of what Thomas More is saying here. 
he's of course again he's in the tower of london and of course we're trying to now apply this to ourselves but what he is contemplating is the fact that he needs to he needs to as we need to turn away from the world and more to god and not meaning to abandon the world but to put the world in the right perspective to know that our true home and our true life is in god not in and in heaven eventually not just in this world with all its attractions and all its dangers but to have a certain kind of recollection and disposition to turn more and more to god and not uh, i love this one line that he has in the section that we're looking at today and and not to hang upon the blast of men's mouths i was I, to... I was hoping that was going to be the one you would start with because that's my favorite part right. of this whole passage yeah not not to i mean i, I took it to me it, it means don't listen to all these talking heads and all these experts and all these pundits and all this this talking you know like on some of the tv shows i mean some of the news shows or even on sports shows that that they have to have to talk they have, they have 24 hours to fill so they have to talk and talk and talk and after a while it it's it's uh it, it doesn't it signifies nothing to, to, yes. to full go of to sound and fury for sure <laughs> yes a lot of sound and, definitely and so, fury Yes. Right. So I think that's one of the things that Thomas More gives us in this this excerpt, because that's what we're doing. What I'm going to do now is for each Monday, we'll take a little section and, and look at it. And so but also the fact that he starts out with saying he needs God's grace. In fact, I think if you read this as a litany, unlike the litany where you usually say, you know, pray for us or have mercy on us at the end of each petition. Before each one of these petitions, you can say, give me thy grace, good Lord, to set the world at naught. Give me the grace, good Lord, to set my mind upon thee and not to hang upon the blessed vast of men's mouths uh, over and over again to say that only with God's grace can we do this. Because this is a difficult thing. It wasn't easy for more. And he was uh, knowing that he was in the Tower of London in nearly solitary confinement and wasn't going to get out there out of there alive. But we are in the world and still active in the world in so many ways. But we need to figure out the way to be, as I think the technical term for this is to be recollected, to know where our true home is and to be aiming for that home and not to be caught up in uh, the the what he calls the the business of the world that maybe isn't always our business. <laughs> maybe yeah. we don't need to be concerned about certain yeah. things. Yeah, uh, to be content to be solitary, not to long for worldly company. Um, and I think this is an interesting thing about the blast of men's mouths, as it were, is that sometimes we mistake it for company. Uh, yes. <laughs> we, we, we mistake – so Thomas More is writing this from the Tower of London, and right. uh, that's not where you're writing from, uh, Stephanie Mann. You're writing from Chief's Country, uh, <laughs> you know, where you <laughs> – Saw the intersection of the pop music world and the sports industrial complex, uh, and it was blasted into your uh, not just well, not just your uh, you know fan base region there in Kansas. The whole world was like we had almost sort of like this replacement form of company, uh, as it were. Yes. It accompanied us all through the day. It was like living. You could not escape uh, news of what was happening on the football and pop music world this particular football season, but you can replace anything else. I mean, here we are heading into 
uh, election stuff. I mean, if you think it's oh, crazy yeah. now, wait a couple months. Um, and it's yeah. going to be like, this is our company. This is the company that we keep. And we got to reevaluate, Thomas Morris saying, we got to reevaluate what kind of company, including what kind of illusory company we keep. Yes. And, you know, that word company is an interesting word for uh, more to use because he has that great uh, series of there's an exchange of letters where he explains conscience. And he says, you know what, you you know, that you can say someone is, is pressed to join with other people who have already made their minds up in a certain way. And, he, and they say, keep us company. And he says, will you keep me company? When I am faced with the fact that I violated my conscience, no, you won't keep me company then. And I think that's also what is in Thomas More's mind when he does this, is that company that you think you have may fall away when you in any way stand against it. When you in any way say, yeah, that's not the most important thing in my life, they'll say, what? This is the most important thing in our lives. And so they'll abandon you. And so I think that's also, and that's obviously what Thomas More had experienced and what he knew is once he spoke out in opposition to that company that he was keeping, to Henry VIII's court, uh, he was abandoned and he was destroyed. And he knew that he was going to be, uh, uh, through the grace of God, he hoped to be continue to be loyal and true and he faced death either in prison or in uh, uh, on the block so he knew what that meant to to uh, if you put your place put your faith in the wrong kind of company you're going to be in trouble and so I think that's also what he's telling us in this uh, portion of the meditation so I didn't expect that this is where this was going to go but this is a perfect tie-in to the conversation we just had with Bear Wozniak about okay. conscience and uh, the importance of following conscience and how the catechism says uh, that even if your conscience is ill-formed, you should probably still stick to it because if you get into a habit of violating your conscience uh, and just saying, oh, you know, to heck with it, I'll just do – if conscience makes things difficult, I'll do something else. Uh, mm -hmm. I just want to read this passage, uh, right, sure. from – uh, a man for all seasons where the Duke of Norfolk's getting annoyed that Thomas More yes. is doubling down on his conscience. And, and here's the actual quote, which you just referenced. Uh, he says, oh, confound this. He's talking to More. He says, I'm not a scholar. I don't know whether the king's marriage was lawful or not, but damn it, Thomas, look at these names. You know these men. Can't you mm -hmm. do with what I did and come with us for fellowship? And More's response is, and when we stand for, before God and you are sent to paradise for doing according to your conscience— and I am damned for not doing according to mine. Will you come with me for fellowship? Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Uh -huh. uh, I mean, it is a chilling thing, but it, 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 it's also, it's the words of a man who really believes what he said in this first passage that you and I were talking about, to set the world at naught, right, not. through the grace mm -hmm. of God. Um, yes. And really rely solely on him. Yes, and, and, and that will continue, through, that theme continues throughout this godly meditation that he knows, he knows where his true home is and where his true direction is. And so that's what he's heading for in spite of all that company that uh, wants him to go their way. Well, through the intercession of St. Thomas More, we ask that he requests from God for us the grace to set the world at naught <laughs> this yes. morning to set our Amen. mind fast upon God and not to hang upon the blast of men's mouths and the lure of the world. Thank you so much, Stephanie Mann. Have a great day. Okay, talk to you next week. Yeah, go read more over Stephanie's blog, Supremacy and Survival. We'll talk to you all again tomorrow. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.